This next round podcast is presented by Roback Activewear. From performance polos to the performance hoodies and the performance Q-Zips, Roback is the best fit and the best fill. Use code TNR20 at Roback.com for 20% off your first order. That's R-H-O-B-A-C-K.com. 20% off all polos, hoodies, and Q-Zips with the code TNR20. And make sure to check out the Roback print polos. They have you feeling good all year round. The coffee is full with the the TNR, the next round coffee blend. We got a lot to get to in 60 minutes live this morning now, 8 a.m. Eastern, 7 a.m. Central. Jim Dunaway, but the star of the show is ESPN's Tom Luganbill. Welcome to my bookies Monday morning live. Lugs, uh, the sky seems to be, it feels different in Alabama than it has in losses gone past. We'll react to everything in college football. But first, just your big picture of Texas beating Alabama by double digits in Tuscaloosa. Listen, it was, first of all, it was a fantastic football game. And I, and I thought, you know, my takeaways, my three biggest takeaways from that game were Number one, you have 10 penalties if you're Alabama. Two of the 10 uh, negated touchdowns. Um, I thought that the explosive plays given up by Alabama were backbreakers. I mean, there there, there was no question um, about that. And then you turn over the football and you're careless with the football, and then you're going you're gonna to struggle. If there was a fourth that I would add that was surprising to me was how handled uh, Alabama looked up front on both sides of the ball. Texas was number one, ready to play, well prepared, but there there was no real discernible difference between those two from a talent profile on the field on that night. And um, and credit to C. Sarkeesian, credit to Texas, um, made more plays and made fewer errors. It's as simple as that. Um, every Alabama fan, including LT's neighbor, who's really quickly in the Vulcan Tyron Automotive chat room, wants to talk quarterback. And I said this after the game on Saturday, that it's it's lazy to think it's just a quarterback problem at Alabama. There was a lot of pressure on Milrow. There was mm-hmm. defensive problems. Um, there was running back problems, rush, rushing the football. But we've got to start with the quarterback. Um, he did not look comfortable in doing what they were asking him to do. Your thoughts on that position as we jump into this? Well, the first thing, and coming off of our, our analysis and our comments last week, I was stunned that there was really no concerted effort to have him be a focal point of the run game. They never really forced Texas to have to defend him. Um, and we did see some of that versus Middle Tennessee State. I thought we would see a heavy dose of some jet sweep action and some uh, backfield action with quarterback counter and quarterback lead, uh, maybe some some zone read type stuff just to force Texas to constantly have to contend with that um, or potentially have to on every down. Didn't see that. The other thing that we didn't see, and I think with mobile quarterbacks that are developing in the passing game, didn't see a lot of movement of the pocket, a lot of changing of the launch points. He was essentially in one location for the majority of the game. And, you know, we saw his deficiencies. We he looked more Saturday like he looked last year in the passing game than he did like he looked last week versus Middle Tennessee State. And, again, we referenced that last week, that as, as level of competition ramps up, 
Uh, we'll see, you know, as those windows close, if he can be every bit as accurate. On Saturday, he was not. It was um, – they just looked out of sync. They looked off schedule, and they weren't accurate with the football, plain and simple. Um, my bookie brings you our show every Monday, Monday morning live. Is it better? You demand perfection, and my bookie delivers that. NFL, college football, and a brand-new cash-out system gives you options to bet and win. All season long, first two legs of your parlay hits – Cash out early and place another bet or let it ride for a chance to win bigger paydays. You get that with our friends at MyBookie, MyBookie.ag. This season, MyBookie has a no-strings-attached cash bonus that lets you deposit and withdraw quick. Use the promo code next round on a deposit of $50 or more, and you can receive up to $200 in cash instantly to your MyBookie account. Again, deposit right there and get that cash bonus using the promo code next round. You can bet anything, anytime, anywhere online with our friends at MyBookie.ag, MyBookie.ag, promo code next round. Lugs, we were talk, we talked a lot about the 350-pound offensive lineman, side, you know, tackle to tackle at Alabama. Mm-hmm. Um. And, you know, people said, well, they can, they can run block well. They're going to have problems pass pro. Uh, I'm looking at non, non-Milrow runs, 3.1 yards per carry, and Alabama's running backs, they, they didn't get 70 yards rushing as a running back group. That, that seems to be a problem. If they're going to go back to murder ball, they got to be able to run the football with other, other people other than Jalen Milrow. That's a huge problem, isn't it? Yeah, it is a big problem. And I think on Saturday, as you saw a very crowded box of white jerseys, and that was the plan for Pete Kwiatkowski, the defensive coordinator at Texas, was to force Jalen Milrow to, to beat us through the air. I don't think they had much confidence that they could lose the game uh, if, if they forced him to try to throw the football. They, they knew that stopping the run and not allowing Alabama to impose their will was going to benefit them. And I think that's, you know, there were a lot of times in that game where you started to count the numbers in the box and in, in Texas has guys walked up in gaps and the numbers didn't equal out, meaning that Texas had more people in the box and Alabama had to block them. And I think that had a lot to do with it. And that's Texas putting their faith in their defensive secondary, knowing that if Alabama, if we force Alabama to throw it, we're going to have to hold up on the back end. And for the majority of the time, they did. Uh, do you... Do you at some point is it is it Jalen the quarterback's job to to check to different plays in that situation or was did he do that and the coverage was just that good on the receivers? How did you? Um, and yeah, I know some coaches don't allow players to change a whole lot at the line, yeah. and some do. I don't know the situation with Jalen and and Coach Saban and Coach Reese, but how did you how did you sort of break down Jalen's ability maybe to check to a different play? Did he need to do that more? Well, again, I, I don't know what you know what's on his plate, what he's allowed to do, what he's capable of in that regard. Uh, by this point in his career, he should be able to get up if, if they're giving them the autonomy to do that, to get out of a bad play and into the right one. And um, maybe he did so, maybe he didn't. Maybe there were checks he missed, and maybe there were checks that he made, and then he didn't perform post-snap in the passing game when the throw needed to be there. Um he made a couple of like really risky throws that ended up being very big completions for them. And what worries me about those types of throws is are those consi- is that is that consistently going to happen? Almost looked like he was throwing it in the hopes that something good was going to happen. And on a couple of occasions it did, but it also looked very, very risky. So, you know, the decision making on behalf of him 
pre-snap and post-snap, depending on what they're asking him and allowing him to do, I don't know. Uh, but it just seemed like they were trying to run it versus a lot of heavy boxes. Yeah, the stats you're seeing a lot of today. Uh, and then we'll get to positive Texas stuff in just a second. But two more on, on Alabama and um, them dropping to number 10 in the Associated Press poll after losing to Texas. Uh, one thing you'll see, Tom, is four and three against Power 5 teams dating back to the Tennessee loss. Now, you can go further back and manipulate that, but since the loss in Knoxville on the final play of the game, and and the loss to LSU was the final play of the game, but since that Tennessee loss, they're now 4-3 and against Power 5 opponents. That's a stat that's unfamiliar to uh, Alabama fans since Nick Saban got there. Very, and I think it's really for two reasons. Uh, Really sloppy football when it comes to penalties, and turnovers, two things that throughout Coach's career there and his tenure there haven't generally been problematic. They've been a clean, disciplined, hard-nosed team that doesn't beat themselves. You add in great players, now you make it almost impossible to beat somebody or for somebody to beat them. Um, But if you remove some of those elements, and now all of a sudden you go out and you have a 10-penalty game, or I believe against Tennessee last year, what was it, 17 or 18 penalties um, on that day, Uh, And then you go and you turn the football over. And now you're playing against somebody that's capable of hanging with you athletically. You put yourself into a bind, you know, against most people that you have superior talent and athletes over. Sometimes you can get away with that, but uh, not when you're playing a team like Texas. And I think that's the thing that, that stuck out to me. And they were a little bit better in the sugar bowl, the game I had that conclude the season last year um, against Kansas state. But it's not it's not the same level of discipline and focus uh, that we've become accustomed to seeing, particularly in the penalty side of things. Okay, I want to get the reaction of all the people who are on with us, audio and video platforms today. If you're watching us now and you're about to get in your car, drive into work or take kids to school, remember all of our audio platforms uh, with us today on Monday Morning Live throughout the season as we broadcast for an hour here. And if you miss any of it, the start of the show, and you're jumping in the car, the replay starts instantly at the top of the hour, whether you're Eastern, Central, or even on the West Coast where Auburn got to win, uh, and we'll get to Auburn later this hour as well. But Pritch Law writes in, Haynes didn't get a touch. That's criminal. A lot of people keep waiting to see him uh, sort of get into a flow of this offense. You never know what's happening in practice and such like that. But that is another thing Alabama fans are talking about today. Yeah, whether it's Justice Haynes or Richard Young or whoever it is they choose to go with. I think in this type of game, because it is a big stage and it's versus a quality opponent, you're, you're naturally going to have worries with, with freshmen as it relates to ball protection and pass protection. And certainly in a game like that, you would likely not use Justice Haynes in a situation uh, that could put your protection scheme in a bind just because you're inexperienced. Um, but in, in games like that, coaches can get a little bit concerned about not overwhelming a guy and putting him in a position and all of a sudden the ball goes on the ground. Not saying that Justice Haynes would have done that, but to answer the question and the concern of the fans, that's generally from a coach's perspective. If they've got some older, more experienced guys in this particular matchup, you tend to lean on those guys because maybe you have more trust in them. Yeah, they did go Jam Miller in there early, but maybe he does a better mm-hmm. job in practice than the other guy does. Yep. NH3425. Um, for him, uh, he mentions the O-line protection as well. 
but no pass rush. The the difference in time that Quinn Ewers had and Jalen Milrow had was night and day. Milrow felt like every time he dropped back, or at least every other time, he had pressure on him, and they sacked him a ton. And Quinn Ewers seemed like he had a really good, clean pocket, and he did a great job of climbing that pocket, stepping up into the pocket and making some throws. First off, the protection for, for, for Texas, and then I want to ask you, defensive philosophy, it looks like in some of these games, Alabama's almost dropping max coverage and just trying to get there with just their defensive linemen, and that did not work Saturday night. No, it didn't uh, in any way, shape, or form. And, and really, for most of the night, even when they tried to change things up and and they, they decided to go man-to-man, um, Texas – identified it and then were able to get, and this is where Sark's really good. It, they were able to get there, what they feel like their most reliable, best target, generally Xavier worthy and get him matched up uh, on a safety or a corner that they think is deficient in relationship to Worthy's talent. So uh, I thought uh, in a game of matchups, Texas did a really good job of not only seeing what was coming, but then reacting with a positive result um, afterwards. I mean, I, the, the, the first deep throw to Xavier Worthy that looked like the ball was going to hit the blimp. Yes. I mean, that thing shot straight up. It looked like, if you remember Jeff Blake in the NFL for the Cincinnati Bengals, the ball went straight up, and I didn't think it was ever going to come down. Xavier Worthy could have been holding a bucket, right, just like this. Three yards into the end zone, the ball would have dropped right into it. I mean, it was one of the most sensational throws I've seen and unique throws that I've seen in a, in a long, long time. But where I think Texas did a great job is when they caught Alabama in one-on-one situations, they targeted the right guy, and they made the play. They didn't miss those opportunities. And, um, and again, explosive plays, they'll, they'll just they'll kill you for two reasons. Number one, they can result in points. Number two, they result in field position shifts. Yeah. Uh, Jay Mose, uh, no blitzes at all, he says. I find it hard to believe it was zero, but I haven't gone back and – and Kev, I thought Kevin Steele was a little bit more of an aggressive play caller, um, but 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 they 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 didn't seem like they heated him up a lot. Is that a fair statement? No. Yeah, I think that's a fair statement. They almost seemed like they were playing conservative because they were really worried about their personnel, and 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 maybe that's true. Now, generally, Alabama doesn't go into many games feeling like they are they are they're at a disadvantage personnel wise. That may not have been the case. Um, on Saturday. And so it did seem a bit vanilla from what we've seen before. And, you know, Kevin Steele's worked for Nick Saban on multiple occasions and they are very much in sync with, with one another. So you have to feel that was a concerted effort amongst the staff and the head coach with, with that plan going forward for, for reasons I would deem to be the areas they thought that they might be deficient and could expose themselves and wanted to really, try and limit that and then the problem is when they did decide to change it up that's where texas did a great job of recognition and taking advantage of it steve sarkeesian is one of the game's best play callers he had his team ready to play you're a great talent evaluating evaluator lugs um i said going into this game i thought texas's wide receiving room may be the best one alabama faces all year um they lived mm-hmm. up to the hype four four guys with all big catches but their defensive line, I didn't, I didn't really understand how good they were. Tell me what Texas's defensive line looks like, 
and what what they could do the rest of this season because I assume they're going to be favored in every game the rest of the way on their regular season slate. Yeah, well, they're really, really big. It starts with Devondre Sweat up front in the defensive tackle position. They're just hard to move off the ball. Their defensive front reminds me of that defensive front in that run that Mississippi State had there for a while from Flexer Cox all the way up to, to Chris Jones and some of those guys that were just big, massive bodies that weren't just space eaters. They could penetrate and they could be disruptive, but it was really difficult to move them off of the football. And so um, I had that team two years ago in Sark's first year twice. And they were they are so light years ahead of where they were um, just two years ago in a short period of time. And, and it hasn't been all portal stuff. A lot of it's been through the high school ranks. Uh, Anthony Hill Jr. is on my, my freshman All-American team. He was a dominant force at linebacker for Texas. I thought Jalen Catalan was a huge addition uh, coming over from Arkansas prior to him getting injured in that depleted secondary a year ago. So they've made significant upgrades on that side of the ball. There's no questioning that. Uh, appreciate Pete Golding using a different name, checking in as Steve today in our chat room. Golding's <laughs> defense last year, 371 yards. Steele's defense, 454 with the home crowd uh, this week. Steve, I'm joking. I know I know you're with us all the time. Tom Luganbill's with us. We're about to jump around the country to everything else that is going on and the SEC uh, with another major loss. And is Auburn's win over Cal, the best SEC versus Power 5 win so far. We'll get to that. A patented aluminum cover system that fits over most existing gutters is our friends at GutterCap. To keep out debris and eliminate gutter cleaning, backed with a lifetime warranty, almost 20 years of service record in Birmingham. Stay off that dangerous ladder forever now. 45% off the retail price. GutterCapBirmingham.com. GutterCapBirmingham.com. Call our good friend Chris Stewart right now. 205-823-221. Two. That's gutter cap. Check them out. Google them, search them up, or call that number 205-823-2212. It's gutter cap Birmingham right there with C's two. All right. The Aggies lose to Miami. Auburn beats Cal. Mississippi State beats Arizona. It is it is a, a different start for the SEC this year. Um against those power five opponents. Three and six now against the power five. The wins are Auburn over Cal, Mississippi State over Arizona, Tennessee over Virginia. Everywhere else, the SEC has been shooting blanks. Your your big picture thought of uh, of of those losses first, including Miami handing it to Texas A and M. Yeah, yeah. I read I read yesterday. It's the first time since two thousand and three, twenty years, that Alabama and Clemson are not two and zero after the first two weeks of the season. I mean, that's that's an alarming. Uh, st- statistic. Um, listen, the bottom line is it, it, the the top tier teams in the ACC. All right, um, and right now you got to look at, at Florida State and Miami, um, probably even more so than Clemson, and then maybe North Carolina in there. Um, they've just flat out taken care of business. They've played better football now. That Miami Texas A and M game on Saturday was interesting because it started off looking like what we saw from Miami a year ago. You know, you get the you get the blocked uh, punt early. They'd miss the field goal. And then next thing you know, Miami's down 17 to 7. And I am convinced that if that was last year, that team would have gone right in the tank. And instead, they just kind of weathered the storm and and kept uh, 
chipping away. And then all of a sudden, in the last two and a half quarters, Miami made very few errors, and Texas A&M started imploding. And um, it was almost like Miami just lasted them out and just kept believing and chipping away and chipping away. And I thought Tyler Van Dyke was sensational. He's remarkably accurate, uh, gets the ball out of his hand. Uh, Miami made kicking game plays, particularly late uh, in, in that game, uh, that resulted in points that that really kind of separated Miami, particularly in that fourth quarter. I still think Connor Wiggins is going to be a really, really good player for Texas A&M, and, and obviously they've got a lot of talent. But that team with the caliber of player that they're playing with on defense shouldn't be giving up 48 points to anybody. That's right. And um, and, and credit Miami for making the plays. And, and, and again, Tyler Van Dyke looks like he's back to the 2021 version of himself. But there are way too many football players on that Texas A&M team to, number one, play that sloppy, but to allow that many points. That just – especially up front if, if you're Texas A&M. And, and that's – that's a, a bit uh, alarming to me. And, you know, listen, Miami did a really good job this offseason retooling that offensive line. That was a liability a year ago, and now it looks like it's becoming a strength. Yeah, I, I was blown away, uh, you know, Jacoby George and a couple other skill players from Miami, uh, how much faster they looked in the Texas A&M defense. Uh, Miami seemed to have the speed advantage, and that's something you don't usually see with the 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 way some of these SEC teams have recruited it, you know, we used to joke about SEC Big Ten speed. Uh, it looked like the ACC speed was better than the SEC speed on Saturday. Yeah, it, it, it certainly did, and you know, you can kind of feel the same way about the Florida State LSU game in Week One. You came away feeling that way. Certainly felt that way in Week One with North Carolina and South Carolina. And so, you know, I, I think last week you asked me, does the SEC have a problem? And, and I was hesitant to say yes after just one week, right? Um, but perception is starting to, to change a little bit here. And, you know, I had somebody ask me over the weekend, man, could we, could we have a, a, a college football playoff where maybe three or three of the teams or all four teams are, are new teams? I don't know. Maybe we, maybe we could, maybe that's the type of funky year, um, that, that we were, that we're going to have. And, you know, a lot of people too, you know, haven't gotten into the meat of their schedule yet. And, and we haven't had that big marquee matchup early on that would either expose you or uh, on the other side um, reveal that you're, you're pretty darn good and you're ahead of the curve. And that's what Miami had this past weekend. And they proved that they were not only worthy, but on that day, they were a superior team. Yeah. And that is something to keep in mind. The SEC has gone out of conference and played some really big games early on. And some of the top tier teams, but even Georgia too, have yeah. yet to uh, challenge. It's not a great week of games coming up in week three, but next week, week four, we got six top 25 matchups. And that doesn't count Clemson and Florida State. So next week's a big week. So it may be another yeah. get right game this weekend. Auburn on the road at Cal. Um, and Mississippi State at home beating Arizona. Uh, Auburn-Cal, it was an ugly late-night game, but a win's a win. And I promised myself, uh, Lugs, when the season started, um, I'm done with uh, just assuming that any team in the SEC, is, it's given to them anymore. I'm going to appreciate every win anybody gets, and I appreciate going across the country in a tough environment, a great scene, a 100-year-old stadium there in the mountains. I didn't knew, really knew that the Berkeley Stadium looked like a mini Rose Bowl. It was a beautiful, beautiful <laughs> look out there, and Auburn got the victory 14-10. to 10. There's value in getting the win, even if it's an ugly win. 
Yeah, there is. And it, it was a shockingly ugly win. I mean, to turn over the ball four times, I think they had just over 250 yards of, of total offense uh, completely in, in the in the first half. I mean, it was it was embarrassing how bad uh, Auburn was on offense. And Hugh Freeze acknowledged that as well. I think the one thing, too, though, if you're not all that familiar with Cal, Cal is always problematic on defense. They are – you're going to look at them on film and you're going to say, I don't know how talented they are. And in many spots, they might not be as talented as the opponent, but they come out and they play so hard. But I think the story of this game, you can say all you want about how poorly Auburn played on offense, but – Give the defense some credit, man. I mean, the defense stepped up and really saved them, particularly in the first half. I mean, they're only down. I think they'd already turned the ball over two times either in the first quarter uh, and, and were only down 10-7 at half. I mean, that's that doesn't happen. I mean, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a testament to the defensive side of the football for Auburn. So however it comes to be, when you're in a changeover season with a new staff and new players and a new locker room and you've got transfer portal guys coming in, uh, you're just going to take a win any way you can get it. And if it's versus a power five opponent on the road at night at a three hour time change or two hour time change for you guys, um, there are some things you can take away that you can say about that football team that are positive because they kind of just weathered the storm. Yeah. Auburn over Cal, Mississippi state over Arizona, Tennessee over Virginia. I don't know which one you would call the best power five win right now by the sec. It could be Auburn winning in Berkeley against Cal on the road in that setting. It could be. I think Arizona and Cal are probably on somewhat equal footing to the lower tier of the Pac-12. We've had so many great Pac-12 teams emerge so far this year. And, and um, you know, aside from Stanford, obviously, is, is a struggle right now. Uh, Cal, I, I still think, will have a difficult season because I don't think they can get in scoring races with people. Um, and then, you know, we'll, we'll see as the rest of the Pac-12 slate unfolds. But I, I, I think that Virginia's obviously they lost this weekend to James Madison. I don't think any too many people were that surprised by that after seeing how Tennessee dismantled, particularly Virginia's offensive line up front um, in Week One. So may, maybe Cal or Arizona is the, the the best Power Five win right now. Yeah, maybe that'll change soon for the SEC before conference play cranks up. Not too many more out of conference champions. We'll uh, continue the conversation with Lugan Bill. We'll get to Colorado's big win over Nebraska coming up. They continue to move up the poll. Everything else going on nationally. Another look back at Alabama and Texas. A different point to look forward for Alabama and to look forward to Texas all coming up in the second half of Monday Morning Live here being brought to you by what I'm drinking this morning the wonderful Next Round Coffee you know we partnered with Who Is Coffee to create the Next Round Blend available in light, medium, my favorite and the dark roast, 100% Arapica beans, specially coffee roasted on demand available in whole bean or ground for drip pods as well espresso and a lot more, just go to whoiscoffee.com and check out everything they have to get our blend, our specialty blend. Just go to nextround.store, nextround.store, get pre-orders and pick up everything right there. Thanks to our friends at Who Is Coffee. All that's still to come. We're live Monday morning live, presented by our friends at My Bookie, Elbert. Sky's not falling for Alabama just yet. Just have to win out, win the SEC, and hope we are a different team at the end of the year. Growing pains early for Alabama, Elbert. You're right. Not a conference game yet we'll talk later about texas and how maybe that's a good sign for them as they move to the sec this is monday morning live wherever you get the next round right here on all of our platforms stay with us 
It's NBA time, Birmingham, as we hoop it up with the New Orleans Pelicans and Houston Rockets, October 12th at Legacy Arena. Single-game tickets are now available. Visit BirminghamSquadron.com or call 205-719-0850 for more information or to buy tickets. And the game is packed with former local players like Herb Jones and Kyra Lewis Jr. and Jabari Smith and other superstars like Brandon Ingram and Zion Williamson. You can also become a Squadron Season ticket holder to get complimentary tickets to this huge event right here in the Magic City. The Pelicans preseason game in Birmingham sold out last year, so get your tickets as soon as possible. Do that online at BirminghamSquadron.com or by calling 205-719-0850. October 12th, it's the Pelicans and Rockets at Legacy Arena right here in Birmingham. BirminghamSquadron.com. The next round brought to you by the biggest and baddest track in NASCAR, the Talladega Super Speedway. The Yellowwood 500 NASCAR Playoffs weekend is coming up. You don't want to miss it. The action kicks off Saturday, September 30th with the Craftsman Truck Series Playoffs race, all leading up to the NASCAR Cup Series Playoffs on Sunday, October the 1st. Be there to see these drivers battle for 500 miles to survive and advance to the next round of the playoffs. Get your tickets now at talladegasuperspeedway.com. Again, that is talladegasuperspeedway.com. Hey, Lance Taylor from the next round to tell you about one of our favorite places for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. That is Hamburger Heaven since 1982. Hamburger Heaven has been serving Birmingham's best hamburgers, cheeseburgers, french fries, hand-spun milkshakes, and sandwiches made fresh to order. All of their ingredients are fresh and prepared daily. This includes their beef, always fresh, never frozen, hand-pattied each and every day. For breakfast, lunch, or dinner, visit any of the four locations, Highway 280, Irondale, Gardendale, and Homewood. The next round is so much more than the show you get from 9 to 1 each day. So make sure to head to our official YouTube channel at Next Round Live and subscribe to get all of our latest content. We, of course, have plenty of specialty content and shorts based all around the sports in the heart of the SEC. But we also talk pro sports, gambling, lifestyle and entertainment, and so much more. It's the Next Round YouTube channel where you never know what you're going to find next. Subscribe now to see the latest content and get notifications when we go live. That's at Next Round Live on YouTube. IV therapy, B12 injections, cryotherapy, and compression therapy all under one roof. It's our friends at Hydra Live Therapy. IV therapy treatments are packed with nutrients to increase energy, reduce stress and anxiety, and boost your immune system and more. If you mention the next round at checkout, save 20% off any service. You can join the IV League today. Members are rewarded with deep discounts. Make sure you ask about that. Hydra Life Therapy opens seven days a week. Homewood, Tuscaloosa, and coming soon to Greystone. Back with you on Monday Morning Live, presented by MyBookie, MyBookie.ag. JM12 Green in the Vulcan Tire and Automotive chat room. I am pretty sure Alabama is overrated. Three losses for us is not the standard man, he says. He's projecting a three-loss season. Um, You know, three losses is what it is, but it is not the Alabama standard. More on the Alabama loss and the Texas win coming up, but the Luganville's quick reaction on a several different games brought to you by our friends at Blakely'sBouquet.com. Quick reaction, that's what they'll give you when you need flowers on the go, right? Blakely'sBouquets.com. Over the phone, you can call them at 205-579-4900 or in person at the full-service flower shop on Oxmoor Road. Blakely's Bouquet, man, for anything from weddings 
uh, to sadly funerals or just that special occasion, Blakely'sBouquets.com, Blakely'sBouquets.com. Great people there, proud supporters of Monday Morning Live. Uh, eight Pac-12 teams in this top 25. If the playoffs started today, Georgia, Michigan, Florida State, Texas are one through four. USC and Ohio State and Penn State just on the outside looking in. Uh, for Michigan, uh, another, you know, they, they steamroll UNLV 35-7. to Blake Corum, three touchdowns. J.J. McCarthy's the top five Heisman candidate. Um, they're just they're just so much better than their opponents in these first three games. Michigan's just checking boxes right now, Lukes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's kind of similar to what SC's doing. I mean, SC's you know played Stanford, San Jose State, and Nevada. Nevada just got beat, uh, I think, thirty-one to seven by Idaho. So um, we don't we don't know yet. On, on these are primers. These are scrimmages. Um, and, and it's great for them to play these games, get better, play a lot of kids at, you know, establish depth, uh, put yourself in a position where if you suffer an injury or two and you're late in the season, you got a lot of guys getting turns because, uh, there's such a wide uh, disparity in scoring margin. So, you know, we'll see as, as we start to, you know, in the case of Colorado, Colorado is going to get Colorado state this week. They're going to be able to, I think they're going to take Colorado state. And then it gets really real for the Buffaloes the whole rest of the way out. And so uh, we're going to find out so much more, um, you know, about a lot of these teams, uh, everybody included. But I will say this, when you just read off those rankings, that's a pretty cool top four. Like, that's a college football playoff scene I'd like to see. Yeah, it's a uh, Texas, Florida State, Miami, and Colorado all ranked together for the first time since 2005 um, if you liked uh, early 2000 late 90s rock uh, maybe the best genre of music the 90s rap into the <laughs> early 2000s the country music back then and then um, of course the great alt rock uh, that was a great period of time unless you were an Alabama football fan and 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 then you felt probably the way you feel this morning as you wake up on Monday morning live a couple other notes here Florida State they mowed through Southern Miss Trey Benson and Jordan Travis was good Oklahoma handles SMU as we expected uh so those those are two teams that you know that, that we're I think we're four weeks away from the Red River shootout now Oklahoma and Texas all of a sudden mm-hmm. becomes a really big game if everybody continues to play the way they play do you think Oklahoma could have anything for Texas down the road uh, well, they're not built like Texas right now. And I think, um, you know, anything as we've seen in the past can happen in that matchup. Um, but listen, Arkansas State was, was no match. SMU is actually a pretty good football team. And that was a slow burn win for Oklahoma. They didn't just race out of the gate there. They had to really earn that one. That was good and encouraging to see. Uh, they've improved through the transfer portal. They've improved through uh freshmen and recruiting in this last class and I think have upgraded their roster a little bit. But I still think right now, um, especially on the defensive side of the ball, the the difference in the the level of the player, the caliber of player between Texas and Oklahoma is w- wider than it probably should be. So let's see how far along Oklahoma comes. And and to be honest with you, Jim, I mean the next step now for Texas is they've got to prove that they can handle this. They have not handled success overly well. Um, and I'll go back to the when I our crew had them two years ago, and they throttled Texas Tech at home. Then they went on the road, and they, they beat up TCU pretty good. And it looked like, oh, man, Sark's first year, they're going to start elevating right in the tank. And they just, for whatever reason, that program has had a hard time 
dealing with people speaking good about them or getting a big win. And now you think you're kind of getting off the mat and you're on this trajectory. And then you go out and you lose to somebody that you shouldn't. Saturday was a hurdle, a huge hurdle for them. This is the next hurdle for Sark to somehow get this team to play like that every week, regardless of whether they're favored or they're supposed to win the game. That's been a struggle for Texas. Yeah, it's a long season, just uh, approaching yep. week three, uh, but a huge win for that Texas program. Another huge win for Deion Sanders in Colorado. Um, listen, everyone tuned in for the TCU game. You had all all season to look to look for all off season to look for that game to do work on matchups. Now the quick turnaround yeah. with Nebraska coming into Boulder, and Nebraska was going to attack them differently, a little bit more in a phone booth. And it seemed like Nebraska's defense had solved all the problems early yeah. in that contest, and then boom, the dam broke, and Colorado went from zero to sixty just like that. It was two things need to be noted about Colorado. Number one, for them to go out with all of the hype and all of the talk and everything that home opener meant to Boulder and the community and the school and the sellout and everything, for them to go out there and win that game, number one, says something about their group. But number two, how they had to win it. Because if you watch the first two quarters of that game, First of all, Nebraska is so inept at quarterback, it's embarrassing. It's painful to watch it. If that's the best they have to put on the field, what does that say about their entire quarterback room? Right? I mean, because they physically got after Colorado on Saturday and were moving the, up, the ball up and down the field. They were disrupting Shador Sanders. They were pressuring. Colorado couldn't run the ball. And then next thing you know, they feel that Colorado throws that deep corner route and I think it was, what, 13 nothing at halftime. Come out of halftime, Nebraska gets that big, long run. So now it's 13-7, and Nebraska has done everything they can to screw up this game. And that was where I thought Colorado deserved a lot of credit because they just kept hanging in there. It was almost like, hey, listen, if we don't screw this up, they're going to. They've shown it the entire game long. But, I mean, you look at it. I mean, Colorado had nine penalties only rushed for 58 yards, um, gave up another 200 or over 200 on the ground the second week in a row, and won the game. I mean, it, and so they deserve a lot of credit for just chipping away, chipping away. And I don't know what the solution is at Nebraska. Nebraska's good enough on defense now. Right. Nebraska's got some some people, and if you watch those first two quarters, the, the offense just crushed them. And then Colorado again – just outlast them. Don't screw it up. They're going to. They already have. If we don't, we're going to be just. We're just going to be fine. And um, and so now we'll see again. You're going to have Colorado's going to have Colorado State coming up. So they'll be three and zero. They'll be three and zero. All right. Then they're going to be at Oregon, and this is where the league didn't do them any, very many favors because they're at Oregon, at Utah. Are they at SC or do they have SC? They, I'm not they sure. get SC I'm, at I'm, home. Not, they, USC at home. Okay, I think it's at Oregon, USC sure. in that order. I think. Right, and then they're going to have, I think it's at Arizona State, and they'll beat Arizona State. Arizona State is, is maybe as thin as, as they are, but not as talented with their front-line guys. And then you keep going down the line, and they're at Washington, right? So the question is, and we were talking about this after the completion of our game with um, Ole Miss and Tulane on Saturday. It's like, 
could they get to six wins without having to beat one of the better teams in the league? And it's 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 a legitimate question because you're going to figure they're they're better than Stanford, or they could be better than Stanford, um, Arizona State. So that would be five right there, meaning that the other team that you're probably the most evenly matched with is Washington State. I think they got to play them at Pullman too, yeah. Um, which is never an easy place to go. Big to. big win for and Washington so, State over Wisconsin. Yeah, huge win. Huge win. Yeah, yeah huge win. Shut so, down Wisconsin's this, rushing this, attack. It was an impressive defensive performance by the by the folks there at Wazoo. It it really was. And if you've ever been to Pullman, and it's n- number one, it's not an easy place to get to. It's a long trip. It's loud, but it's a quaint venue. Really cool place to play. So yeah, you start to look at Colorado's deal. If, if 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 they can stay healthy, they might not have to beat one of the big ones uh, to become bowl eligible, which would, I mean, be a, a remarkable feat. Shador Sanders uh, continues to press all the right buttons. I compared him, not you know, not skill set or anything, but I'm not doubting it. Um, to what Cam Newton did in 2010 at Auburn, it gradually wow. got a little bit better all season long. You kept waiting for Auburn to lose that year and not saying Colorado's going to be in the playoffs or go unbeaten or anything like yeah. Cam led Auburn. But every week it just seemed like Cam Newton got better and he kept making everyone around him better all season long. Yeah. And, and Shadour did a little bit of that again. They'll beat Colorado State in a rivalry game, and then we'll get a big battle between Shador Sanders and Bo Nix coming up week four. Speaking of Bo Nix, it's third and 11, and Oregon's about to lose in Lubbock, it feels like, and Bo goes for 13, gets a first down, leads Oregon back in a big win over Texas Tech. How good is Oregon? Can they be the fly in the ointment in the Pac-12? Oh, oh, there's no question they can be. Um, And I think... You know, they fell victim to what a lot of teams fall victim to, and that is seeing the team they're about to play go and lose to somebody they're not supposed to lose to. So now they're like, oh, well, maybe this team's not as good as everybody was saying, and we'll go in there and we'll just we'll, we'll just handle them. Lubbock is a weird place, man. <laughs> that is, <laughs> is uh, it's it hard to play there, hard to play there. And and it's, uh, and, and, and Joey McGuire had his guys ready to go. So I, uh, that was a that was a big game to just get over. Like I'm, I, I bet Oregon is really glad that game is over with. They got the win. They don't care how they got the win. They knew going into into that place it was going to be difficult. And I and I just continue to be. And you guys are so familiar with this as I am because of you know the proximity to it and, and, and being in the southeast. But to to watch Bo Nix his first three years at Auburn and to watch Bo Nix now, it's. It's it's hard to comprehend at times, right? I mean, it, it really is. It's like it's like two entirely different people um, playing the quarterback position, and what a change of fortunes for 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 that young man. And uh, and but I think Oregon's I think Oregon's going to be just fine. And I think Oregon's got enough components on defense. Um, you know, they're going to want to run the football. They're creative with their offensive plan. They've got terrific skill. Uh, they're they're going to be a problem. And again, it goes back to the same conversation we seem to have every week in that league out west: is how are any of those games going to avoid going into the last series of the fourth quarter? Yeah, it's like who's going to have the ball? Who's going to have the ball last? Yeah, every game. So like if if SC plays Washington, who's going to have the ball last? If Oregon plays SC, who's going to have the ball? If and then Utah. By the way, you see that quarterback for Utah in the fourth quarter against Baylor? Yeah, if, they if if Cam Rising if Cam Rising is hurt. 
one week from now, two weeks from now, I can't come back. That Nate Johnson dude is a problem. Yeah. And uh, that, that was easy for Utah. Yeah, he saved he the saved day. He saved the day, yeah. man. Yeah, yeah, big time. Yeah, so uh, Utah, they survive uh, both Florida and Baylor without Cam Rising, who we're told will eventually come back for them this year. So the Pac-12 is interesting. We'll get right back to uh, what you guys are dying to talk about, and that's Alabama, Texas. you got a 1,000 questions for Luke's. Um, but I want to ask him first about Ole Miss's win because – you expect Alabama to handle USF, and then here comes Ole Miss in a big battle between Lane and Nick coming up. You had Ole Miss, a uh, gutsy performance from Jackson Dart. Uh, Tulane, surprisingly to me, they held Quinshawn Judkins in check. What's your take on Ole Miss right now getting a gutsy win in New Orleans? That Ole Miss is very, 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 very fortunate to get that win. Uh, Tulane's legit. And, you know, winning the American last year was not a fluke. Beating SC was not a fluke. They went out there with their backup quarterback, and they physically whipped Ole Miss up front on both sides of the ball. And Ole Miss had no answers for that. Outside of the first drive of the game for Ole Miss, where you went, uh-oh, this thing could get out of hand real quickly, Ole Miss could not function offensively. They couldn't move the ball on the ground. They struggled to move it through the air. Uh, Tulane was so disruptive throughout the entire day that you could see Lane was getting frustrated. Jackson Dart was getting frustrated. And then Tulane on offense was able to run the football, surprisingly. And the backup quarterback made just enough plays to keep that that uh, that team in it. And that score was not reflective at all of how that game was played in any way, shape, or form. But the decision to go forward on fourth down for Lane Kiffin late when – to be honest with you, he probably could have kicked the field goal and they would have they would have won the game, but he decides to go for it. Jackson Dart makes a phenomenal play in the backfield to avoid the free rusher off the edge and hits Michael Trigg on the on the, the crossing route there for the touchdown. And that was kind of that was what took the air out of the stadium for Tulane. But uh, there are some concerns for Ole Miss. They, I, I was, I, 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 it's not that I didn't think they were ready to play, but I don't think they it maybe realized how good Tulane actually is. And, and Tulane sat Michael Pratt and they should have, because they've got an opportunity to be potentially an 11 and one or 12 and one team uh, in, in the American. But uh, that was tough sledding for Ole Miss. I, they're going to have to play a lot better than that with, uh, when they hit the, the SEC slate. All right. Our final 12 minutes will be questions you guys have for Lugs in our chat room on the video chat room. And I'll fire them off quickly. Want to remind you that uh, we're brought to you by our friends at MyBookie every Monday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern, 7 a.m. Central. Every Monday morning, we're here with you. MyBookie.ag. And also by our friends at Way to Wellness. Blood pressure, cholesterol numbers may be getting out of whack for you as you get older. Our friends at Way to Wellness can help you there. Maybe you want to lose some weight. Uh, Leslie and her board certified team no cookie cutter plan everything is designed for you the program is overseen by board certified professionals there are no contracts no sign up fees and because you watch us and listen to us you get a free consultation the website is a plan for me.com a plan for me.com way to wellness your journey to healthy living check them out right there it's a wonderful program a plan for me.com it is way to wellness all right a lot of people are asking questions uh, what did you think of Alabama Alabama's pass protection because there's a debate going on in the chat room did Jalen Milrow have enough time or was he being pushed out of the pocket and uh, being pressured almost instantly from that pass rush break down the, the, the pass pro for Alabama what'd you think 
I thought it was a little bit of both. I thought at times Jalen Milrow could have hung in there um, and 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 stuck with the the target and delivered the football. And then there were times where he had he had no choice. I, I really thought the movement for Texas up in their front in terms of uh, some of the the pre snap alignments where they would maybe have four down, but they'd walk two guys up into a gap, and you weren't quite sure which of the guys were coming and was it going to be all six of them? Was it going to be four of them? Was it going to be five of them? And then playing some twists and some stunts and some games in the defensive front really created some penetration issues for Alabama uh, in, in their offensive line. Texas did a great job of keeping them on their heels uh, by continuing to change up the look. So I think there was a lot for Jalen Milrow to digest from a protection standpoint and maybe at times he didn't handle that overly well. And from an offensive line perspective, I think the combination of some of the games that Texas was playing and the caliber of player that Texas was playing with looked like it was overwhelming at times for Alabama in the offensive line. Uh, big debate. Like Wesley says, my biggest gripe is the play calling for Milrow. They were acting like he was Mac Jones' skill set back there. Other people were saying yeah. that Milrow was trying to prove he was a, a pocket passer, not the, the quarterback that fits his skill set. What do you think about that? Did they Should they have had more design runs for Milrow? Maybe a little uh, uh, run-pass option in this situation. Oh, I absolutely was stunned that we didn't see a bunch of it. I really was because I, I kind of felt like if you give a heavy dose of that and now you force Texas to have to account for it all the time, they're going to load the box up a little bit more and you're going to get easier throws on the outside because you're going to have one more one-on-one situations. Um, that, the movement of the pocket to try to change the launch point to to get some misdirection going so that you didn't have so much pressure in the face of, of Jalen Milrow. I was, I was surprised by that fairly significantly. And, and that's not to say that you don't have attempts from within the pocket you don't have the quick game or you don't have play action where you're staying within the pocket but it just didn't seem like there was a lot I felt like his strength right now is as a runner is as a physical running threat where you're bringing him along in the passing game and without having an emphasis on that it just seemed like something was lacking and it took away from how effective that he was going to be capable of being Johnny writes in, says, you guys can talk offense all you want. I'm most disappointed by the defense. Tennessee last year, and in this game, we don't heat the quarterback up. Our secondary is good, but not good enough to stay with quality receivers for three, four, five, six, seven, eight seconds. What do you think of that? Oh, we touched on that early. I, I you know, I, I was surprised that they didn't at least try to get Quinn Ewers off schedule, maybe on early downs, try and get them behind the chains, uh, particularly on on early downs. And it's tough to do that in a three-man rush. But again, as we talked about earlier, Jim, there might have been some personnel concerns there where Alabama wasn't overly comfortable if they felt like they couldn't get to the quarterback. Weren't overly comfortable just leaving guys on an island with those targets. And Texas got really good skilled personnel. So um, a little bit, a little bit. Um, I guess it was a surprise for me. Not so much the three-man rush stuff, but the fact that they didn't do much at the line of scrimmage. It seemed like to disrupt those Texas targets and and and, and allowing them just free releases to get downfield. 
more questions about Alabama, but a couple of others. Uh, Niners for life. Is NC State that bad or Notre Dame that good? We have Notre Dame, Ohio State next week uh, in week four, uh, which will be a great showdown. Um, handling that delay is not easy either. What do you think of Notre Dame? I thought they were really, really good. Think about it. Those two teams arrived at that stadium at like 9 o'clock Eastern time in the morning, and I think they left at like 6 p.m. I mean, what a, what a nightmare day. Um, well, again, you can't – the fact that Notre Dame went on the road and handled NC State like that in what is a very difficult place to play, Carter Finley's a, a tough environment, uh, really says a lot about how good Notre Dame is. Because I think coming off of Navy and Tennessee State, you're like, okay, yeah, we, they were really efficient, looked really good, but let's see what they do on the road against a, a team that, you know, is is generally a, a, an eight, nine-win team each and every year. And uh, I thought Notre Dame looked really, really good. I mean, obviously, you know, NC State turned the ball over four times, so that's not going to help you win whether you're at home or on the road. But I think it, I think it's – NC State played very poorly. Notre Dame is really good and doesn't beat themselves. They don't beat themselves. Monday morning live with you on our next round platforms presented by our friends at mybookie.ag. Um, a discussion going on, and, and I'll be honest, I'm in the post-game news conference in Tuscaloosa, and having done Nick's show for a long, long time and covering Alabama for his entire time there, there are certain questions that get asked that I almost can can tell you what the answer is going to be before he says it. <laughs> and then he surprises me every now and then. And the one that surprised me was he got asked the question, did you ever think about swapping quarterbacks, switching quarterbacks in the course of the game? And in this case where he did not switch quarterbacks and nobody warmed up, the answer that defaulted in my head was, you know, Jalen Milrow was our quarterback. He was the guy where, you know, that was, he was going to give me some variety of that. He instantly said, I did. But then he put together that drive and he goes on, I don't have the verbatim, but he started with, I did. So Nick Saban admitted he thought about switching quarterbacks, which should not surprise you because we saw it in a national championship game, but he didn't, sure. but he didn't do it. So now you lose a game where Nick Saban, four of his six national championships, have come with a loss. And so he loses this game early. And this week leading into USF and then the SEC schedule coming up, do you think they reconsider possibly playing two quarterbacks on the regular or giving Buckner or Simpson or Lonigan or look after what we saw from Jalen Milrow in this game? I think they may be forced to do that based off of Jalen Milrow and his performance, I, I think it's almost one of those deals. Hey, you got to play better, and and he may be have to be put on notice, and they're going to give him a short leash and tell him what has to happen. And if it doesn't happen, then you have to look at other options. You're forced to. I mean, uh, Nick Saban's got a responsibility to the football team to make sure that he's putting the offense in the best possible hands to give him the best chance uh, to win. In their opinion, for the first two weeks, they feel like that guy's been Jalen Mil- Jalen Milrow. Now, Jalen can go out and play really, really good, and then they can get back on track, and then it doesn't become a discussion. Or he could go out and kind of sputter, and and you know maybe he's playing with a lack of confidence, or he feels like you know he's you know looking over his shoulder or what have you. But bottom line is, he's probably he's probably going to be told you you have to play, and it's not all on him. You know, we've talked about you know the run game wasn't what you expect it to be. The offensive line at times was really struggling with with that Texas front. Um, 
But at the end of the day, he's he's got to make the necessary plays, and most importantly, he's got to avoid he's got to avoid turnovers and carelessness with the football. That's the thing I think that frustrates Nick Saban more than anything else is being careless with the football. He knows they're good enough to where if you just take care of the ball, you're going to be in every game with anybody you take the field with at Alabama. So um, I think that's what Jalen Milrow's got to work on, and he's got to make good decisions with the football. Final two minutes here, Luke. Tell me, uh, other than Texas, another team that maybe we haven't touched on or maybe you want to go back to quickly that impressed you and maybe one team other than Alabama that may have disappointed you this weekend. I, I think Penn State's on the verge of being a real problem. Um, uh, that quarterback has been as advertised. Drew Aller uh, is a lot of people and Penn State fans and those in the Big Ten wondering who's going to compete with Michigan and who's going to compete with Ohio State. I think Penn State can compete with both of them. Now, James Franklin's got to prove that he can get over that hurdle, but this is by far his his best football team. I don't even – I mean, it's the best team he's had at Penn State. I don't think it's close. They've got NFL guys littered throughout. They're too deep on offense and on defense, and the quarterback's starting to emerge as a, as a significant, significant difference maker. Um, a team that's disappointed um, – you know, maybe it is NC State a little bit for me because Brennan Armstrong reunites with Robert and I as offensive coordinator in 2020 and 2021 when Brennan Armstrong was lighting the world on fire offensively. And you, you figure NC State's got better personnel than Virginia, so you get all of that to come together. And I thought we'd see more of an offensive explosion from NC State. We haven't we haven't seen that yet. They struggled week one versus UConn, got the win on the road. But that was not the performance I expected to see from them against Notre Dame, and Notre Dame deserves a lot of credit. Yeah, so we got a big week next week. Uh, maybe some interesting games this week, uh, including Georgia and South Carolina. We finally get to see Georgia maybe stressed a little bit. Luke's, thank you. That's our show, mybookie.ag, Monday morning live. Don't forget the replay starts in a, at the top of the hour, and then the next round is live at 9 a.m. Central Time. Until next time, God bless you and God bless America. Thanks, Luke's.